It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hey, guys, and welcome to the Week 5 edition of the Fantasy Points XFL Break. I'm your host, Jake Kribbe. And and I've got Chris Wecht here by my side to help us break down every angle of the Week 5 XFL slate. Chris, how are you doing today? And how did your DFS lineups fare in Week 4? I'm doing good. I think we're we're hitting our stride here in the, with the XFL DFS season. Uh, we both had pretty good weeks DFS-wise. Uh, you came in second place in the 3-3-3 contest, which is pretty sweet. Uh, we're definitely... Uh, I think we're definitely finding some edges and, and uncovering some hidden gems that the rest of the industry is not quite catching on to. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a great week for uh, for me. I had I think I think I said twenty five percent of my fifteen dollar teams finished in the top two percent of the contest. I won a ticket to the three 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 for thirty five bucks and ended up finishing in, in second. So I was I was really happy with the way um, week four went. And at the same time, though, not fully satisfied because I didn't manage to win either tournament. Um, so really excited for these these next few weeks, because, I mean, each week that we've gone through XFL, I, I just feel like, you know, it's it's further revealed that the field doesn't fully understand what they're doing. And like the edges are just absolutely massive. I mean, compared to NFL, I actually think like the edges might be 100 times bigger, which seems crazy. But, um, you know, the last four weeks of have shown that and um we've got a great slate this week so getting right into things um <clears throat> we've got the houston roughnecks at the seattle sea dragons uh kickoff is tonight at 10 30 p.m if you like watching these games and you also like sleep not really the week for you a lot of late kicks this week the total here is 43 and a half houston's favored by three and a half um key injuries Morgan Ellison is officially questionable. Um, I expect him to play, but he clearly isn't 100%. I mean, if you watched the the broadcast last week, he looked pretty good running the ball. But, I mean, running on and off the field, he had a, he had a bad limp. I mean, he's obviously in some pain. Um, and then Max Borgi, um, not listed on the injury report and listed as a starter. He was probable ahead of week four. Obviously, a really shocking and active um, I'd expect him to go this week. I think they just held him out because it's a short week and because they were playing Orlando. I think Houston has a pretty good idea of their, you know, their own talent and their own um, personnel. And I think they, they've done a really good job handling injuries so far, and they seem to have the, the smartest coaching staff. So um, I think that was more of a precautionary thing. I don't think there's anything to worry about um, with Max Borgi. Um, before we get into the fantasy side of things, uh, Chris, are there any bets you like for this contest? Yeah, I think uh, Houston should be a little bit of a bigger favorite than what they're the three and a half that they are. Uh, where we have it projected more like six, a Houston minus six and a half. Which feel, I mean, Seattle can definitely put up points, but they they're not. I don't think they're as good of a team as Houston. Uh, I think so. Whether it's Houston, I don't necessarily think the over under is too high, but it's more like I think Houston's defense might keep Seattle a little bit in check. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think 43 and a half sounds about right to me. I actually got 40 and a half when this opened um, over on Bovada, which I was I was pretty happy about. Um, and yeah, I, I like Houston minus three and a half. I've already bet Houston minus three. I, I don't think you can find that 
um, anywhere else. But we definitely like Houston in this game. I think Seattle's being slightly overrated by bookmakers, probably mostly due to their their pass-heavy nature. Um, I mean, Houston's just legit. Number one scoring offense, number one scoring defense. uh, Just just a really great team. Um, But getting into the fantasy side of things, we will start with the Roughnecks. I mean, this passing attack is awesome. You know, we've got a 70% pass rate. We've got a lot of really talented wide receivers. I mean, the only thing that's probably stopping everyone from stacking Brandon Silvers with all these Houston pass catchers is that Cole McDonald is stealing a good amount of red zone reps um and you know goal line reps he he could definitely run some touchdowns in so it certainly sucks that that silvers isn't playing every snap but at the same time i have a really hard time not liking him this week we actually have him in our projections as our highest projected quarterback i believe um only slightly above ben denucci um or actually no in terms of value we have him as the uh as the top quarterback but um yeah, oh, actually, both. Actually, both. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, I think you said um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, we have them as the top value and the highest projected quarterback of the slate. Um, industry wide, though, these Houston receivers are not projecting particularly well in terms of value. Um, so that kind of makes me wonder if Houston stacks won't be as popular as I initially thought. Uh, what? Yeah. What are you, What are you thinking here with with ownership and this Houston passing attack? Yeah, I'm. I think it, it's probably partly just because they they are starting to mix a few guys in with pretty much everybody being healthy. So you've got like the main guys in John Trey Kirkland and Deontay Burnett, um, and then Travel Harris, Cedric Bird working. Nick Holly's still out there running around about half the routes, um, and then you got the you know the running backs as well catching passes. So I think that's what's keeping some people feeling super confident and like on the flip side, Seattle is just like so obvious who their main guys are. Whereas Houston's a little bit more tricky to figure out, but I think there's, you know, um, the passing attack from Seattle is the reason we have silvers as projected high as we do is because it could push Houston more than we've seen them push. Not that they've been ones to take their foot off the gas really, but any little extra bit can give silvers that, you know, his ceiling is definitely capped but maybe his, you know, average outcome can, can be a little bit higher in a game like this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when it comes to the Houston receivers, Travell Harris, Deontay Burnett and John Trey Kirkland are all going to be pretty popular on Silver's lineups. And I think they're all uh, plenty viable. Um, you know, Nick Holly and, and Ben Putman, you know, might project okay in some spots, but I, I don't really like either guy. Um, if I am dipping down, oh, Cedric Bird is worthy of mentioning. He had an 80% route share last week. He's playing pretty much exclusively slot for them. So I don't, I don't think he has, I don't think he's super live to catch like a deep touchdown or anything like that, but he could see, you know, five, six, maybe seven targets. Um, and he's fairly cheap. So he's probably my, my fourth favorite option overall after, um, you know, the big three in, in Harris, Burnett and Kirkland. But there is a guy who's kind of a, a galaxy brain play who I really like for Houston in Justin Smith. We've seen A.J. Smith talk him up in the same light as Deontay Burnett and Dontre Kirkland. And the problem is that he plays the same position as those guys. He plays outside wide receiver. They play exclusively outside. He plays exclusively outside. So he's only earning, you know, about 10 routes per game. He did see a season high in route share last week at 29%, along with three targets. Um, and I pulled this stat, which I thought was pretty telling. I mean, he's the minimum price. He was 0.1% owned last week. He's the minimum price again this week. He's definitely going to be sub 1% owned. If he had caught 
um, a deep target that Brandon Silvers put right on his hands, he would have had a 68-yard touchdown and finished last week with 16.6 DraftKings points. So, like, that's the upside there with Justin Smith. Obviously, a guy who's running, you know, 10, 12, maybe 15 routes on the high end in a game isn't a super appealing target. And I get that. And the field's going to think that, too. But, you know, if I'm playing 15 or so Silvers teams, which I, I think I probably will, um, I'm going to want Justin Smith on at least one or two because I, I, I think the upside there is is actually pretty decent, just especially given how much these coaches seem to like him. I mean, the broadcast last week mentioned that, you know, A.J. Smith said to them uh, during like the the pregame festivities or whatever, um, that they need to get that guy more involved and that they're they're super excited about him. So I, it feels like Justin Smith is going to, you know, he'll have a breakout, he'll have a big game, and it's just a matter of time. But, you know, obviously for an individual week like this week, um, it's pretty high whip, high risk. So that's my that's my Justin Smith pitch. Um, but, yeah, he's only getting 10 rounds a game. So <laughs> This feels like one of those things where the coaches just keep saying, well, yeah, we got to get this guy more involved. And then it's like, well, you know, you, you call the plays, you choose who's out there, and they yeah. just continue to – it's like, what do you mean we got to get him more involved? Just If you want to, it's, all, it, it's in your hands. Yeah. And I, it, I, I mean, it, oh, you, you go. I was just like, I, I don't think he's a bad play. Like, like, I think he's perfectly fine as a punt play. I mean, like other guys that you would be punting off in that 3K range, like Lance Lenore, Caleb Vanderash, like th- they might run more routes, but they're on way, way worse offenses. So, you know, it, there's no reason that Smith can't be as viable as a guy, guys like them, too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's really disappointing that he, like, they haven't tried to put him in the slot a little more because it seems like there's just no wiggle room with these outside wide receivers. I mean, Burnett and Kirkland are getting, you know, at least an 80% route share every game. And most games they're running routes on 100% of the, the dropbacks. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly thin, but I do think there's, there's some really good upside there. And if Justin Smith wins somebody a, a tournament, I, I really, really hope it's me. I'll be pretty upset if it's not. Um, the running back room for Houston, pretty interesting. We've got Max Borgi, obviously expected to play. He's like, you know, the XFL's Christian McCaffrey light. Um, I believe he had about 65% of backfield weighted opportunity in the first three weeks. You know, he should be, um, fully healthy. They've been fairly efficient running, running the ball. You know, he's averaging, I think 4.7 targets per game, which leads all running backs, um, by I think a full target. So, uh, easily the best receiving workload among running backs. Um, the problem is he's expensive and he doesn't project particularly well. Um, he'll project a little better for us if we get news that one of Bryson Aline or Dejan Lee is inactive. Uh, but I still don't think he's going to pop as a value, um, even if one of those guys is inactive because of his price. Um, and that should keep ownership pretty low. I mean, we might get Borgi at. 10 or 15%. I'm still not quite sure, but I, I don't think he's going to be very popular at all. No. Yeah. I think if you have the salary, he's a great leverage play on the, you know, one of the highest, if not the highest, the second highest implied team total team of the week. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's an awesome leverage play. And we just, we don't know what the offense will look like if both Lee and Aline are active, but um, he would get a slight bump if one of those guys is not playing tonight. Yeah, so we we actually saw this in um, week two. They had all three guys active. Uh, Borgi led all running backs in weighted opportunity with 15.5 weighted opportunity points. Dejan Lee and Bryson Aline only combined for for five weighted opportunity points total. So that's a roughly, you know, 75% of, of 
backfield usage for Borgie, which I think is probably the high end of what we would expect. I mean, Aline and, and Lee have looked pretty good overall. Um, so yeah, I'd say Borgie's usage will probably range somewhere between, you know, 60 and 75%. Um, but he's definitely got, you know, pretty solid upside here, especially in an offense as explosive as, as Houston's, um, moving on to the other side of things, Ben DiNucci in a tough matchup against the league's best defense, but at the same time, I mean, you know, he's, he's running, he's second in fantasy points per game behind only AJ McCarron. He has the highest. Uh, fantasy point total in any individual game of an XFL quarterback this season scored 35 points in week three. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on Ben DiNucci and some of these Seattle passing options? I think this is going to be the, the, these are going to be the most popular stacks of the week for people. Uh, we project Seattle to be down. They're going to, they already pass a lot. Can uh, question is how much can they really pass even more than they already do? Um, so you're going to see a lot of Danucci plus Pearson, Blake Jackson, Josh Gordon with VZ and even Jawan Green could be mixed in. I would probably avoid stacking, you know, Danucci, Pearson and Josh Gordon's expensive. So he's probably not going to be the other super popular, but Blake Jackson would probably be the next one. That'll probably be the most common stack. So maybe try to avoid that and mix in other guys as you can. And then even throwing Ellison in the same stack, I think is totally fine when we talk about uh, him as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my thoughts on these wide receivers are pretty straightforward. Um, I think Josh Gordon is a little interesting just because he's so expensive. He's pretty hard to get to. I mean, only 100 less than Jacora Pearson. And it doesn't matter what projection set you use. I mean, he's going to project notably worse than, than Pearson. Um, so he's kind of an interesting contrarian option. And I also wrote up Jawan Green this week um, as another solid option. He's had, I think, about a 65% route share and somewhere around a 12% target share these last two weeks, which, you know, in the Seattle offense is pretty solid, especially at only 3,700 on DraftKings. I don't think anyone's going to play him. Um, you could also say similar stuff, though, about uh, Jordan Vesey, who's, you know, 4,900 and projects similarly to Jawan Green. Uh, Jawan Green is a better value overall, but you know, neither guy should be very popular. So um, are you, are you worried at all that Josh Gordon's route share has been trending down basically since week one? I, I think that's because they just want to get like, they seem to have pretty defined roles for these wide receivers. Juwan green VC and, and Gordon are all sort of outside guys. Um, so I think they just want to get Juwan green a little more involved. I still think like when Gordon's on the field, they're, they're giving him targets. Um, right. He's a guy they like to throw to in the end zone. You know, they've thrown to him on some of these three point conversions, which are pretty valuable for fantasy. Um, so, I mean, if we see Gordon's route share tip much lower, I'll start to get concerned, but I'm not, I'm not too worried right now. I just kind of think they like um, this rotation at outside wide receiver, which maybe lends itself to playing a little more uh, Jawan Green and, and Jordan VC than um, you would normally think is optimal. Yeah. I think that leads me to want, if I had to rank them, um, you know, in, a lot of my stacks with Danucci would be, you know, one of Pearson or Jackson and then preferably VZ or green with Gordon Knight, just cause he's so expensive. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he's got probably, he also may have the highest ceiling of all the wide receivers as well. Yeah. Yeah. He might. I mean, we saw it in, in week three, the dudes, he's still got it. So yeah. um, the Seattle running back room is a little interesting. I mean, Morgan Ellison is, is legitimately questionable as we acknowledged. I expect him to play. Uh, last week he was questionable and he tweeted that he would play, which was, you know, a great, a great hint. Uh, we have not gotten that tweet this week. So I'm not sure if that's a, if that's a bad sign or if he just hasn't checked his phone. 
Um, but yeah, Morgan Ellison, I think is, you know, a pretty solid play. If he goes, I would expect, you know, at least a 60% route share here, probably 75% of backfield weighted opportunity. Uh, they also have Darius Bradwell and TJ Hammonds. Hammonds like provides basically nothing as a rusher. He's just a receiver playing running back. Darius Bradwell is, you know, probably a pretty dang good play if Ellison sits. Um, but I don't want anything to do with them if if Ellison's going to be yep. going to be active here. Um, yeah, how are you going to handle this Seattle backfield? And do you think Ellison's going to be pretty popular? Because I, I kind of lean yes. Really, I I don't know if he will. I think people will prefer the passing attack for okay. Seattle, and then with Houston's defense looking pretty legit, I, I don't know. I think people will get a little scared off of Ellison. I'm not. He'll definitely still be you know fifteen to twenty percent. I think. But, but I don't see him getting up to, you know, 40% or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think, I think Brian Hill and Abram Smith probably pull more ownership. But I mean, yeah, Ellison could be in that 20% range. I mean, he projects in terms of value better than a guy like Max Borgi. So I'd expect him to be more popular. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable, um, you know, kind of going both ways on Ellison. I think he's got a good ceiling because he's a really talented player and Seattle can put up points. And I also think that this backfield um, just doesn't get much usage. We have seen like last week and the week before they're running the ball more in the red zone because mm-hmm. Ellison is playing so well. Um, so that's an important note is that, you know, while the backfield to this point hasn't had great touchdown equity, I think it's probably better than previous week's stats imply. Um, because yeah, they're just, they're just giving Ellison the ball more inside the 10 cause he's really dang good. Um, but you know, he might only be 85% as efficient as he normally is given that he's, you know, he's clearly in some pain here with this knee injury. Right. Before we leave this game, because I really want to make sure we, cause this is probably the most popular game of the slate. Yes. Uh, do you think like, what is your preferred way to attack it? If you, if you have a preference, do you like stacking Houston or Seattle or does ownership you think drive you in one direction or the other? Yeah, it's it's really interesting from a macro perspective because we're going to have so much time to make optimal late swaps here, and it's really not something you ever get in mm-hmm. NFL DFS. And like this is a very unique slate. I think this is our last Thursday start of the season, um, so I'm going to play a good amount of both stacks. There's there's really only one other quarterback. Well, maybe two that I'm that I'm interested in playing on the on the four game slate. So I'm going to probably be overweight both quarterbacks and and probably game stack pretty heavily and then just try to leave myself you know maybe like a flex player and a defense on each of those teams um so that i can you know i can swap if if things go wrong or you know adjust if if i'm in a really good position um so i definitely want to be overweight on this game i i just feel like this game has easily the best upside i mean we'll get to dc and st louis shortly and obviously we saw them you know combined for 60 points the last time they played but this feels to me like, you know, kind of the game of the year so far in the XFL, at least from like a fantasy and offensive perspective. But I'm really curious, you know, how you're playing this. Yeah, more or less the same. I want to be overweight this game. I think it's just about getting the right pieces from this game. It, like it's going to be, uh, you know, we'll, we could circle back to the macro of this once we talk through the other games. But yeah. it does feel like it's going to be hard for you know, the winning lineup to not have at least two or three pieces from this game. And it's just a matter of getting the right combinations. Um, but yeah, we can, we can circle back on the macro of after we talk about all the other, other games. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you can game stack this game without playing one of the quarterbacks, um, which I think is like another sort of interesting angle because I, you know, I think these quarterbacks alongside AJ McCarron will will lead the way in terms of in terms of ownership. So, um, you know, even getting off them a little bit could could be a bit unique, but I don't think I'm going to go that direction. Um, all right, moving on to our second game. This is a Saturday 7 p.m. kickoff. We've got the D.C. Defenders at the St. Louis Battlehawks. Total here is 43 and a half. D.C. favored by two. Um, some injury news here. Steven Mitchell, uh, wide receiver for St. Louis, limited with a quad issue. I think he plays. Um, tight end Ethan Wolf for D.C. did not participate in Tuesday's practice. Uh, he's expected to miss, barring any sudden changes. And then Raquel Armstead with a calf issue uh, did not participate on Tuesday's practice. That's a situation to monitor for sure. As of right now, Raymond Calais, who is not in the player pool, would be expected to fill the Armstead role. Um, but I don't think we should expect much here, especially in terms of touchdown equity, because Calais is only 185 pounds. Um, so if Armstead somehow sits, it's definitely a boost for Abram Smith because he's not going to lose any red zone touches to anyone else in this backfield outside of these quarterbacks. Um, so certainly something to, to monitor there. And, it, you know, it's extra tough given that we have a two full days in between games. Um, so definitely keep an eye out there um, on the D.C. side for um, fantasy purposes. I mean, you know, quarterback is kind of the same old, same old. We've got Tayamu. Um, handling most of the dropbacks and, you know, about two thirds, maybe a little more of, of quarterback snaps. But then you've got De'Ara King with a, you know, very notable red zone role. Um, I think he had, was it two, two. touchdowns last yeah. week? Yeah. I mean, he's. Did you, he's, did you he's, have any live lineups with him? <laughs> I did not. I did not, unfortunately. Brandon Silver still outscored De'Ara King. Uh, Although you, you did get De'Ara King at 0.2% ownership. So yeah. my Silver's lineups did did outperform my my single uh, De'Ara <laughs> King lineup. But um yeah, not sure. Not sure. I'm going to go back to the well on that one this week because it, it seems like they're these roles are pretty set in stone with yeah, these quarterbacks. Yeah. Like I, I don't see King emerging with no, a bigger. They're role winning unless, too much. Yeah, yeah. Unless there's an injury to Tayamu or anything right. like that. Um, so I think you know as a contrarian option, Tayamu is a little interesting for the four game slate, and obviously he's in play for the you know the Saturday two game slate. Um, he's super streaky. He has, you know, the rushing potential. Sometimes he looks great as a passer. other games. He looks really bad. Um, do you have any interest in Jordan Tayamu for the four game slate? Yeah, I don't think he's bad to mix in. Uh, I'll have to play with lineups a little bit more because he is like a thousand dollars cheaper than Silvers and Danucci. So maybe he allows you could play, you could play Tayamu and literally play no stacks with him. And, but then basically still be stacking Seattle and Houston. But if maybe maybe that extra thousand bucks helps you get, you know, another high level receiver from that game or a one off from some other game. But I think stuff like that might be kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I really can't understate just how good his touchdown equity is in terms of inside the 10 carries. Abram Smith first. Jordan Tayamu only has one less than him. He's second. Derek King is fourth. I mean, D.C. is just running red zone plays like seemingly all game. And they're all read options. Uh, some of them are just design quarterback runs. So I do like that call that you can just, you know, play Tayamu. And yeah, I mean, you could stack all these wide receivers from our, our first game and then, um, you know, play Tayamu and a few other pieces from these these final games. Um, on the wide receiver side for DC, I think this is a pretty interesting conversation here. We have Lucky Jackson 
leading the way. But then you've also got guys like Chris Blair, uh, Jaquez, Izzard. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really not sure what I'm going to do with these guys. I wrote up Lucky Jackson as, you know, a pretty solid value play. But I did say, you know, he's probably going to be popular. And I think Chris Blair is, you know, a reasonable pivot if you're concerned about ownership. Um, yeah, Chris, what are, what are your thoughts here? They, you know, they, they're it's a low passing offense, but they, you know, they have room to spike because of, the, you know, they're clearly the guys and they're so cheap compared to other wide receiver ones and twos in, in the XFL. So I have no problems with them. I'm not, it's not something I'm looking to do. Um, but I have no issues if you want to throw in a Lucky Jackson or a Chris Blair. So just because, I mean, the team total is high. So, so somebody's got to score the points here if we think they're going to score as many points as we do. Yeah, for sure. I mentioned Azard previously. Josh Hammond is actually the wide receiver three here. We have Hammond with a yes. significantly yeah. higher. He's actually out there a good amount. Yeah. Um, just doesn't seem to have any kind of explosiveness to him, really. Like <laughs> yeah. they, they run screenplays to him and Lucky Jackson. Mm-hmm. And Lucky Jackson, like, actually looks like he can do something with them. And Hammond just kind of just doesn't yeah. really give you much. And he's way more expensive. So. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're really trying to get unique with Tamu stacks, which I I don't think you need to, but maybe on the two game slate, Hammond has um, a little juice there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think these guys are interesting, especially because I I would expect, and I mean Vegas expects this to be kind of a pace up spot for DC. I mean, we saw St. Louis really push them the last time these teams played, um, so you know maybe that could force DC to throw a little more, um, which would obviously be good for these wide receivers, uh, the backfield, we've kind of already covered it a bit, but you know, Abram Smith projects really well for us. Um, and you know, his, his workload is just insane. I mean, these last two weeks, he's led all running backs and weighted opportunity each week. He's averaging about 18 and a half weighted opportunity points per game over the last two weeks. He had eight red zone rushes in week four. I mean, that is, that is insane. He, I don't think he found the end zone, but you know, he probably has the best touchdown equity of any running back, even with, um, you know, his quarterbacks siphoning off carries at the very least, you know, he's, he's probably right there with a guy like Davion Smith. Uh, maybe you could argue Borgie's up there too, but yeah, the touchdown equity for Abram Smith, very strong. Um, how are you playing this? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's going to get work. Um, especially if Rykel Armstead is out. I mean, he might be my favorite running back play if, if Armstead is out. Yeah. Depend depends like how when we get that news and then whatnot. Like if we start to hear it before, it's it's gonna get baked into his ownership pretty good. If and then and then it doesn't look as awesome just because we we know Tayamu King could run in the touchdowns. Like it's easy to there's an easy path to failure for him, but there's also a big path to the ceiling. So you know if if we don't hear he's out until right, but you know when the inactives come out for the game, there's a good chance Smith does not get pushed at much higher in ownership and he stays in that 20 to 30% range. And I think he's a, a really nice play there, especially just given the, given the team total and the touchdown equity that he has. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't think he'll be tremendously popular, but I mean, he could push to be, you know, the most popular running back on the slate at the same time. I mean, we've seen running back, even when there were these smash plays, we've seen running back ownership come in pretty flat. Like I'd be surprised if he, was drastically higher than 30%. I think that's probably the high end of what you would expect from, from Abram Smith ownership. And honestly, after what he's shown the last two weeks, I mean, 77 and um, 79% snap shares, like it's, I mean, yeah, 
just just a really really great role i do think for what it's worth i do think armstead plays only because dc hasn't signed another running back i'd be pretty surprised if they were comfortable you know with the possibility that they could go into this game with only two running backs given how much they run yeah that's their whole identity yeah artavis pierce is a is another guy on the roster he's on ir right now from from what i can tell um so yeah i think you know we may get a clue later in the week if dc doesn't sign someone or if they do um as to armstead status um all right on the other side we have a st louis passing attack that's been really good lately mccarran looks awesome i mean probably the best quarterback in the xfl overall they seem to be getting a little better every week i've been pretty impressed with um you know the development of this offense overall um you know, I feel like we kind of say the same thing about McCarron every week where it's like, he's not, you know, he's not quite Silvers. He's not quite Danucci, but he's still a good option yeah. on a team that's, you know, throwing the ball at a, at a pretty high rate and he has talented pass catching options. Um, how are you going to play this this week? Cause I, you know, my love for, for Silvers and, and Danucci, I feel like is going to keep me under the field on McCarron and I'm not super comfortable with that. Just given that I think he's pretty good. Yeah. I, pro- yeah, that's a good point. I probably want to try to be at the same ownership that I am at with Silvers and Danucci as McCarron. Cause this, the, the problem we've seen with St. Louis is they don't quite push the ball when they like, no matter what, but DC has been putting up points on everybody. So this is a game where we think St. Louis should have to try to score points. So yeah. And, and the um, Aitman being on IR really narrows down the receiving group. So it makes stacks with him easier as well. I'm definitely going to try to get a good amount of McCarron. I think I think he's a solid play. You can stack him with Butler, Shepard, Prohl, maybe even Stephen Mitchell. Um, and it's not going to be super. I mean, Butler will probably be popular, but that's it. Everybody else will be pretty reasonable. I think Shepard. I think Shepard might be kind of popular after what he did last week. I, I do think Butler's going to pull the most ownership of this group. Um, but I, yeah. I think the industry is underrating Shepard a little bit with for sure. He's, he's bigger... like legit good. Yeah. Uh, and his know, role really spent time with increased the last week with eight men out. Like he saw yeah. what 29% target share. Uh, you know, we're not necessarily projecting that again, but you know, it's reasonable to expect he does get North of 20% again. Yeah. He was already running all the routes. It just seems like targets finally started to go his way last week. Yeah, him and Aitman were sort of splitting a lot of the targets on like that outside role, and it seemed to be you know more in Aitman's favor. With with Aitman out, I mean, it's it's really all um, all Shepard on the outside, and in terms of target share and stuff, which is which is pretty great. Um, so yeah, he's he's a bit underrated as a as a stacking option. I mean, we saw like really good upside last week. He could catch a couple deep balls. Um, I do I agree with you. Stephen Mitchell, I think is is viable. Um, the only counter argument to playing Steven Mitchell is that they might give his receptions to Brian Hill. Um, <laughs> so, um, but draft, you know, DraftKings will still pay out, uh, both, both alternate universes, um, or the alternate universe, um, plus, you know, the, the actual score results. So that was a, that was a very goofy quirk of last week's slate. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think Steven Mitchell is fine at, at 4,300 decent route share. He has the highest, uh, average depth of target on the team. Um, and yeah, just make sure he suits up and and plays. Um, and running back here for St. Louis, I mean, it's kind of starts and ends with with Brian Hill. I, I wrote up Brian Hill, and um, you know, I watched this game super close because I was I was sweating, you know, a pretty good amount of money here. 
And one of the things that I wanted to note with Hill was that, you know, Snapshare was was great last week. It was 70 percent. At the same time, though, Kareem Walker got some run at the end of the game because it was a blowout. Brian Hill also got his hand stepped on and had to come out for a couple of plays. And I also think he may have tweaked his hamstring at one point. He, he came up gimpy and asked to come out after another play. That's like an extra eight to 10 snaps for Hill. I mean, I think in close games, Hill's going to be at like an 80% snap share, um, you know, for the rest of the season, as long as he can stay healthy. Uh, yeah. He's going to be the, yeah, he's going to be the most popular running back for, and, but for good reason. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. He gets more, he gets all the, you know, pretty much all their work and he's efficient with it too, which, you know, a guy like Devion Smith gets all the work for his team, but it's just not efficient <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, definitely like Brian Hill, there is the risk. I mean, Mateo Durant could steal some red zone touches. That's sort of the only like downside with Hill. I was really hoping they'd totally kill Durant's red zone role last week after he fumbled in the, uh, at the goal line in, in week three. And, um, you know, I think they, they did lean on Hill a little more, but Durant still got some snaps in the red zone. Um, but yeah, it's really hard not to like Brian Hill. I mean, averaging five yards per carry and in a strong offense. Um, Chris, you have anything more on, on this game? I think we pretty much covered it. Sweet. All right. So we have another late kickoff, uh, our third game of the slate Saturday at 10 PM. The Orlando Guardians at the Vegas Vipers. Total here is 41 and a half. Vegas favored by seven and a half. Um, some key injuries to monitor here. Tyler Hunley has practiced in full all week. We are tentatively expecting him to start. He's listed as the starter. Obviously, we know we can't trust these Vegas depth charts. Um, you know, last week he he started the game and then he came out, I believe, on their second drive of the first quarter uh, because he was just having a lot of trouble moving. Uh, due to this like thigh knee thing that he's he's dealing with and Luis Perez ended up finishing the game um I think we have like an 80 20 split projected right now I mean Hunley has like some real risk of coming out of the game due to injury but I think he's you know he's clearly the better quarterback so if he can go he should get every snap I'm I have a little interest here in GPPs but before we get to that um final injury note uh, Martavis Bryant uh, did not practice on Tuesday and Wednesday with a knee issue. Um, we saw Geronimo Allison as a healthy scratch in week four. I'd expect Allison to be active if Bryant can't go. I think it's very unlikely we see both of these guys sit unless this new offensive coordinator just really hates Allison for some reason. Um, I'm not sure if you have any take on this, this injury stuff before we, we get into the, the fantasy implications. And, uh, nothing, no serious take. Just, we just, so much is up in the air with with yeah. their receiving core right now. So it, it makes projecting them difficult. And you know, you're you're, you're just gonna if you want to play a Vegas receiver, you're just gonna have to pay attention to what happens with these guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we know um, you know we know about Jeff Badette, but yeah, these these other guys we're gonna have to gonna have to monitor. Let's start things off on the Orlando side. Um, <laughs> Orlando uh, actually has four quarterbacks on their roster right now. DeAndre Francois is probably going to miss this game with a concussion. Quentin Dormandy found not guilty of uh, <laughs> um, being a mole for uh, some other XFL team. I, I don't know what happened there, but he's still technically on the roster. He hasn't practiced since week two, though, so we, we don't expect him to play. It's going to be Quentin Flowers and Paxton Lynch at quarterback with 
Lynch getting, you know, the vast majority of the snaps there, but I would expect a package for, for flowers. I mean, they, they obviously aren't very happy with the quarterback play that they're, they're getting from Lynch. And, you know, that's why they were rotating Francois in there to begin with. Um, so, and it's, you know, it's kind of tricky because if you project Lynch for, you know, most of this role, which I, I think we do right now, he, he actually kind of pops as a value, but I mean, I have a really hard time liking him as a play. Yeah. Projections make him look better than he probably is. And he, he you know, and he, he's going to be played a, a decent amount, I think, because of it too, which, you know, I just, it's just so hard to imagine him being a guy that you need. He, I mean, he's cheap, he's cheaper. He's 8,000, but he's not like, I think we had Brent Hundley at like six, 6,000 something back in his first game. Like that is a cheap quarterback. Yeah. So I just, I, I don't think the savings are quite worth what the payoff would be if you do want to play him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. Um, I don't, I certainly don't love Lynch, especially if he's going to be popular. If you told me I could get Lynch at like, you know, two, three, 4%, I'd be like, okay, you know, I'd think about it. Yeah, sure. um, but yeah, if he's going to be like 10% or something, I mean, I just, I, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, the Orlando backfield before we get to these receivers, I think the Orlando backfield is really interesting because Devin Darrington, um, like absolutely smoked John main Martin in weighted opportunity last week. I believe it was mm-hmm. 9.5 to 3.4, but their snapshot was the same. It was 33% for each guy. Um, obviously John main Martin, not really in play at 6,600 Devin Darrington though, at 3000 projects as a, you know, top value industry-wide he's you know projects as a value for us and um yeah i'm, I'm really curious on on your thoughts here because it, it feels like a very dangerous situation to me um yeah playing a lot of a lot of darrington makes me makes me really nervous yeah i don't think i'm gonna do it he, i mean he's a perfectly fine value play but uh, kind of what you said about a guy like justin smith he's the what is the upside with Devin Darrington? You know, like he might pay off his value, and I guess it's kind of nice that he plays running back and can fill that hole. But I think we're starting to see some bell cow running backs emerge with Borgie Hill and Abram, especially Abram Smith if Armstead yeah. is out. So it doesn't feel like a week to me where I want to just kind of get my value at running back and go elsewhere. I think I'd rather take shots on you know Lance Lenore, Van Der Esch. Uh, Alizé Mack, Justin Smith, what you know, some of the receivers that could really pop for me this week at that price point. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's it's tough though because like in in previous weeks we've sort of had at least a little bit of running back value all the way down in terms of you know the salaries. Mm-hmm. Um, this week though, it's kind of like once you get below 6k, there just really isn't isn't no, anything. Not a lot. Um, so I think that will make people drift to Darrington. But you know, a point that I made in in my write up this week is that the Orlando backfield, 9.6 weighted opportunity points per game. That's for the entire backfield. That's 47% worse than the second worst team. Like this is, they're they're not moving the ball at all. They're not scoring touchdowns. This backfield has almost no TD equity. Um, And yeah, Paxton Lynch could, you know, they have rushing quarterbacks. So those guys could steal the rushing touchdowns if they get into the red zone. Plus the implied team total here is only like 17 points for Orlando. So um, you know, Vegas doesn't expect much scoring either. So it's, it's, it's really high risk. I mean, the projections look good, but the context behind the projection makes me really nervous. Um, so yeah, we, I'm, should, I'm, we should mention that, uh, 
so Vegas has this over under at 40, 41 and a half. And oh, yeah. we were trying to project this. We, I mean, we, we tried to get it even close to that and we really couldn't, we're, we're significantly lower than that. So, so, or like you said, Orlando Vegas has them at 17 points. We have them more at like 15 points. So even lower. <laughs> yeah. So it just really, really is not a lot of scoring upside in this game. We think. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I definitely like the under here. I've been thinking about betting Orlando plus seven and a half. I just can't quite pull the trigger. Cause I feel like if Hunley plays the full game, seven and a half is, is pretty close to right. Um, if we knew, uh, if we knew Perez was going to play the full game, um, then, um, yeah, I'd be pretty comfortable with Orlando plus seven and a half, but, uh, all right, moving on to the Vegas side of things. I actually, I really like Hunley as a GPP play just because I think people are going to be really scared off due to his, um, you know, the, what happened last week. And I believe he's got the questionable tag next to his name on, on DraftKings. So that should keep people away. I mean, we probably get sub 5% ownership on Hunley, who's, you know, one of the most talented quarterbacks in the XFL. The receivers are a total mess. So like, who do you stack him with? Um, I don't know, but it should it should keep people away. So, Chris, uh, do you have any interest in this Vegas passing attack? Yeah, if Hunley is going to get all the snaps, I'll always be interested in him because I think he's actually a decent quarterback. Yeah. If I'm stacking him, I mean, Bidet is pretty awesome. He's so, he's very involved. He, you know, like we you really don't have to worry about him, but he's going to be popular. Yeah. I don't know how much that matters though if you're stacking him with a guy like Hunley because Hunley's not going to be popular. Um, and then it's, you know, Sweeting, Sexton, and then we don't know about Martavis Bryant, Geronimo Allison. Sweeting had the big game last week, but he only ran like 40% of the routes. Yep. So don't necessarily want to chase that. Sexton ran 100% of the routes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, did. you know, just didn't get a lot of work, but he's cheap. And if he's going to be out there again, he's probably, you know, he's probably a pretty nice receiver to use this week, whether you're stacking him or not. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I thought I think your Bidet take was spot on. Bidet will be popular on his own, but Bidet plus Hundley, I, I don't think it's going to carry much ownership at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fine with single stacking Hundley. I think I prefer double stacks a little more this week because of the uncertainty with his knee. I mean, he might end up throwing more um, because he can't, you know, he can't move as well. But also, you know, based on what we saw last week, if he can't move, I mean, they'll probably just take him out of the game. So yeah. I think if you're playing Hunley, you're kind of betting on that rushing upside. Um, so yeah, single stacks are, are fine there. Um, and then, yeah, when it comes to Sexton versus Sweeting, I prefer Sexton. Um, we have Sweeting projected slightly higher, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think Sexton is a really good play. If you, you know, if you tell me he gets hundred percent of the routes in a, on a team that's quarterbacked by, you know, an NFL caliber guy, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of that play at 3,600. And then, you know, I'll probably mix in a little, if I play, you know, multiple Hundley lineups, I might mix in a little bit of whoever's active between Martavis Bryant and Geronimo Allison. I'd be pretty surprised if both guys suited up this week, given what we saw last week and the injury concerns with, with Bryant. Um, but yeah, those are, those are my thoughts on the, on the Vegas passing attack. You have anything to add there, Chris? Nope. I think that's it. We can, I mean, do we even need to talk about the, the running backs for Vegas? Um, I mean, I guess I guess we can mention them. Uh, Rod Smith and John Lovett, uh, neck and neck last week in weighted opportunity. Uh, Lovett at 7.9, Smith at 7.8. Um, you know, DeAndre Torrey is 
a little bit involved, 5% snap share. It's it's slowly turning into a two-man backfield. I think that may be a mark of the new offensive coordinator. So, you know, for the two-game slate, I think you, both Lovett and Smith have at least some reason to be played. For the four-game slate, though, I mean, I just I, – I don't see how you can get there on either guy. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it's worth playing. I mean – they both saw a slight bump in route share. So yeah, maybe that is pulling away from DeAndre Torrey a little, but yeah, as long as they're basically splitting everything, it's, it's hard to really consider them. Yep. Um, alrighty. Moving on to our last, oh, I think game. we forgot to talk about the Orlando receivers. Oh yes, you're right. I did skip the Orlando receivers. Thank you for not that. There's a lot to talk there. about. there. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's really, you know, it's kind of the same as, as last week yeah. for the most part, we've got Lance Lenore, popping as a solid value industry-wide um you know he's a good play but the passing efficiency of these offenses are it's just bad um right so you know like the floor the floor is pretty low um latimer is shaping up to be really popular i mean he projects well industry-wide he projects pretty well for us he's easily earning the most consistent targets on the team he's dominating um you know the, the red zone stuff he's like pretty much the only guy seeing red zone targets for them. Um, doesn't yeah, feel, you... It doesn't feel great to have an Orlando player be potentially one of the most popular on the slate though, does it? Yeah. Right. And another thing that I've kind of noticed with these spring leagues is outside of like Donald Parham, who was, you know, a 2020 XFL legend, these tight ends, you know, while a lot of the time they see good volume and project well, we really haven't seen like many good ceiling performances from these tight ends that are getting a lot of targets. I mean, Sal Canelo in the USFL last year, he was popular every week. I don't think he ever exceeded 20 DraftKings points. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about Latimer. I mean, Latimer probably has a little more upside, but you know, the floor is like five, six, seven points. And if he's going to be like 30% owned or higher, um, yeah, I'm fine being underweight the field there. I think fading popular Orlando players is probably sharp. I think you'll um, make money in the long run if you do. Yeah, that. yeah, probably, probably. Um, and then uh, Eli Rogers, I guess, is worthy of a mention. Only 3,400 uh, projects pretty well. Um, industry, you know, the industry has them in a pretty similar spot to Lenore. We're we're higher on Lenore. I think Lenore is clearly the the lead wide receiver in this offense. Not that that's you know worth a ton relative to being the wide receiver too. Right. Um, but yeah, all three of those guys are, are in play and are, are decent values. Just remember that the Latimer will probably be very popular. Yep. I think that covers them. righty, Thanks for, thanks for stopping me on that, by the way, I almost, almost skipped over, you know, our, our fantastic Orlando receiving group. <laughs> um, okay. Last game of the slate. This is a Sunday at 9 PM kickoff. So, you know, night owls rejoice. Um, the Arlington renegades at the San Antonio Brahma's total here 34 and a half i mean goodness uh san antonio favored by three points fun quirk here these these teams are playing twice in a row they play again in week six so we get to see this you know game of the year type spring football contest uh two times in like seven days so that's awesome uh injuries wide receiver javanta payton for arlington is likely going to sit dude due to a concussion. He only had five routes in week four. So uh, not something I would be super worried about in terms of, you know, impacting projections or whatever. San Antonio has a lot more to monitor though. TJ Vasher is dealing with a shoulder issue. He was limited in practice on Tuesday and Travis Johnson, another wide receiver for San Antonio dealing with a back issue. He did not participate on Tuesday's practice. 
both guys should be considered questionable, probably a little more likely for Vasher to play, but I would be surprised if we see Johnson suit up this week. Um, before we get into the fantasy implications of all that, do you have any bets that you like for this game, Chris? Uh, not really. I think we're projecting pretty much where the Vegas line is. Uh, no, no, I don't think there's any good stands really with this one. Yeah, this line opened up at 36. If you manage to get the under there, I, there, I certainly yeah. like that. I Not something I bet personally. Uh, you might still, if you shop around enough, maybe you could find like 35 and a half. I, I'd be fine with that under. Um, we're just, we're really not going to see many points in this one, I don't think. Um, but all right, starting off with the Arlington side of things. I mean, we've got Kyle Sloter playing not very well. Um, we've got wide receivers who are jumping all over the board in terms of route share on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm fine totally fading, you know, this game and especially this passing attack. Um, but yeah, I'm curious on your thoughts here because we do have, um, I mean, you know, Canella projects. Okay. But Caleb Vander Esch at, at only 3000 actually projects as a pretty strong value for us. So yeah, he's the uh, guy. I like the probably the only guy I really like from Arlington. Uh, he he, you know, he didn't play the first two weeks, I believe, and has yeah. been ramping up each of the pa the past two weeks. He, you know, and he actually looks pretty good. Like he he's actually giving them a little bit of a spark. Uh, so at three k, I think he's totally viable and a, a nice salary saver if you need it. Um, you're just you know you're not going to get a, a a massive game, but I think he's I think he's good as a value play and. Much, you know, I'd rather play him than like Canella. Slaughter is we're projecting him to get all the snaps. There's an outside chance that maybe Plitt comes in if he continues to not play well, but right now we're not projecting that to happen. So yeah, not not too exciting on the Arlington side. No, sir, certainly not. I think you know, in my player pool, I will probably narrow it down to only Caleb Vanderesh, at least when it comes to these pass catchers i mean you could make an argument for vons or arcanado but we've seen i mean like i said these route shares are just all just over all, the place yeah, yeah just all over the place week to week it's like they're hitting randomized on their wide receiver <laughs> route shares it's 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 really weird like i i don't know it just doesn't seem like they found any offensive rhythm at all and like they're not comfortable with their personnel it's just very strange um running back though for arlington i mean davion smith i think is legitimately in play he's not like a crazy value or anything, but you know, he should be decently popular. He's totally dominates the red zone role. The team cut Adrian killings, I believe. So it's really just him and Pharaoh in this backfield. Pharaoh is seeing the pass game work, but you know, if they get inside the five, it's the ball's going to Davion Smith. Like they're not even going to mess around with play action. Like they're, they're giving him the ball. Um, so, and we'll, we'll get to the other side of this game as well, but I kind of like, um, you know, Davion Smith, the, the Arlington running back paired with the Arlington defense um, as, you know, a little mini stack for this game. Yeah, I don't hate that. I really wish he was like in the 6K salary range, like seven, five is just like a touch too much. Just because like your upside is him scoring a touchdown. Maybe he runs for 30 or 40 yards. That's like 11 points. So for him to hit 2x value, like that's still not even 2x at 7.5. Yeah. So you you know, he's a little expensive, but I think he's an he's an okay play. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what's what's keeping him in play is that running back scores in these spring leagues right. are just always so low that if you can, you know, if you can get to 17, 18, 19, uh, you're you're probably going to be the the optimal running back. And you know, if he falls into the end zone a couple times, um, that's certainly possible, especially in a game like this where you know both of these teams are bad. So I wouldn't be surprised if you know one of these teams won, you know, like twenty four to ten or something like that in sort of you know blowout fashion. Um. Yeah, not really sure I have anything else to add here on the Arlington side of things. I think we're we're safe to move on to San Antonio. Um, you know, we've got uh, a split projected at quarterback. Uh, they just demoted their offensive coordinator, San Antonio did. So obviously not very happy with the way things have gone these last two games. I mean, Cone was super efficient in weeks one and two. And like as of late, has, has looked pretty bad. Reed Sinet, um could potentially start or, you know, at the very least could certainly rotate in and get some reps here. Um, Chris, I imagine you don't have much interest in this uh, San Antonio quarterback situation. No, I mean, this might be shockingly, this might be the team I have the least interested in altogether, <laughs> which is saying a lot with Orlando yeah. and Arlington on the slate. They just, yeah, the QBs are going to split. We have no, we got tons of injury news on the wide receivers. It's the last game of the slate. So we're not going to have that information until like, you're going to have to make your calls on this. This really does feel like a spot to, you know, what we talked about a couple guys from the Arlington side, but on the San Antonio side, maybe the running backs, but the receivers and the QB, I'm probably just avoiding. Cause I don't want to wait, have to wait and not play guys from the other three games until Sunday night to find out what's going to, who's going to be out there for them. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think, you know, Jalen Tolliver, I yeah, I mean, just absolutely no interest in these quarterbacks. But Jalen Tolliver, I think, is a little interesting. We're we're above the industry on him. He led all pass catchers in targets last week. And I mean, he's not gonna catch any ownership because this is just so, so gross of a situation. Um, so like I, I don't if you're playing in like the super large tournaments, I, I actually don't hate Tolliver. And both Alizé Mack and Fred Brown project as decent values. I think Fred Brown had a near like 100% route share last week, right? Yeah, um, he was out there a lot. Yeah, so like both of those guys are fine. But I mean, with the brutal QB play and stuff, like I'm kind of viewing San Antonio the same way I am Arlington, where, you know, maybe I'll play some of these value guys. Maybe I'll have a lineup or two with Tolliver, but... I mean, most of my exposure here is probably going to be to like Kalen Balage and the defense. I mean, mostly the defense. Um, you know, Balage is like Davion Smith. If Davion Smith lost 25% of his red zone work to his backup running back. <laughs> so I can't imagine that's a very tempting uh, proposition to a lot of people playing DFS. And that, you know, that should keep ownership pretty low um, on Balage because, you know, just like Davion Smith, you just you need him to fall into the end zone probably twice. Probably twice. Um, yeah. He's, yeah. This, again, if he was in the six K range, it's way more tolerable. But he's in yep. seven point eight, so it's just yeah. uh, it's just tough. Yeah, it's it's really tough. If you uh, you know if you told me I'm just gonna totally x this game out of my player pool outside of the defenses, I would say you know that it's that okay. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally okay. It's uh, it's a very unique slate, and I think this kind of leads nicely into macro thoughts. It's a very unique slate in the sense that all the points I think are going to be scored in these first two games um, for fantasy purposes, and then you've got sort of like this mid tier game with Vegas and Orlando, and then just a, a horrific game on on the last day to close things out. Um, Chris, I mean, I know we, we've kind of already talked about it, but do you think there's, you know, is there, can this second game, can DC and St. Louis keep pace with 
Seattle and Houston, because I, I do think there is an argument to fade the first game. And it's not one that I'm really buying into, but it's that Seattle and Houston are the league's top pass defenses by passing yards per game allowed. So maybe this game is a little bit more of a slugfest uh, than we've, uh, you know, than we maybe expect. I don't necessarily think that carries a lot of weight because I think Houston's offensive coordinator is a genius. And I think Seattle, you know, it's, they've shown that, um, you know, they have, they have plenty of passing upside. Danucci being kind of streaky, I think sort of helps their upside because he can get really hot. I mean, I think in week one, he threw for like 110 yards in a quarter. Like, I mean, he's got yep. some serious upside. So. Yeah. So Houston's defense in particular. So they've played what Orla- Orlando twice, San, San Antonio, who in Arlington uh, in Arlington, yeah. right? That's right. So. so all teams that we are pretty below, we, we now know are not good offenses. So yeah. there's a chance while, I mean, I, we think their defense is pretty good. I'm not going to say it's yeah. not, but there's a chance that a team that actually is functional on offense like Seattle could get this game going. And I'm buying a little bit more into that route than trying to fade this game. I, I don't think it's, it, it's not projecting to be as popular as I initially thought it was when I saw it was on the slate. So I'm probably not going to fade it. I think there's a hard, going to be a hard time where there's not at least two or three players from from this game in the winning lineup. It's just a matter of getting the right ones. I think there's plenty of different ways to play it, and that's, you know, I think that's how I'm going to attack it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think this is a much better week to play Danucci than, like, last week. I mean, last week, Danucci was, like, 50% owned across the board, which mm-hmm. just just wild. Um, this week, I think people are going to be off him a little more because of the, you know, the defensive concerns, the, the idea that the Houston defense is, is really good. And I mean, they, they probably are, but you know, playing Orlando twice and San Antonio and Arlington is, is really going to jack your numbers up. Um, so yeah, I, I do really like this first game. I mean, I, yeah, I guess I just hope it doesn't catch a ton of ownership. I think if these quarterbacks combine for like 60% of quarterback ownership, I'll, I'll get a little, um, I'll get a little nervous that I maybe made the right call um, going harder on this game, but I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, McCarron, Tayamu, Lynch, like they're all projecting well enough industry wide that they, they should soak up some decent ownership. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just tough. I, I do, I do think, um, I do think this game will be a little more popular than, than people think though. Um, another thing that I've noticed like macro wise is that, Guys who don't project, you know, maybe top as like top 10 values at their position or whatever, um, for the most part, are just going like way under owned. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you only need to step down like a point, a point and a half to get from a guy who's, you know, like eight or 10% owned to a guy who's like 0.8% owned. Um, so I think that's like an important note. Like, I mean, Justin Smith, right? Like industry wide projected for, you know, two fantasy points. We actually have him at like four and a half, I think. Um, you know, not a huge gap between him and someone like Caleb Vander Esch, uh, maybe like three DraftKings points. And the ownership difference will probably be like 15% there. Like Justin Smith is going to be very close to zero. Um, so I figured that was something I'd note. Um, and then, you know, people are really just blindly chasing value as well with these projections. I mean, we've kind of seen it with guys like Canella, um, some of these quarterbacks slowed in what was that week three where yeah. he, pro- he projected well, but we kind of said like, look, the, the upside here isn't great. And he was like, I don't know, 35% owned or it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy. crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Chris, I'm not sure if you have any other like macro thoughts to, to close us out here. No, I think you, yeah, I think they would pretty much cover it. 
We do. We have to touch on. We have a comment from our resident NFL draft guy, Brett Whitefield. Better snack, peanut butter or beef jerky? Oh, uh, definitely beef jerky. Um, I've always, when I was working at PFF and doing doing charting and stuff, I was always pounding the the beef jerky and coffee. I feel like that's like the ultimate football guy snack. <laughs> that, that, that's you know you, that sounds pretty much just like what I would expect. <laughs> I'm, I'm going. Uh, I'm going peanut butter. You can do it's too versatile. You can do too many different things with it. Wow, Chris with the contrarian take. I think the ownership on that would heavily skew towards beef jerky. Um <laughs> in the football industry in Yes, yes, definitely in the football industry. Um all righty guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to the week 5 edition of the Fantasy Points XFL Breakdown. We're so happy to have you and we hope to see you all at the top of the leaderboard. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.